Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal, where of course it is time once again, as you can see, I'm joined by James Benj of CBS, which means it is time for Inside Arsenal Extra Time. James, how you doing, my friend? All good? I'm sensational. How you doing, Charles? Sensational? Wow, that's uh, what it's a good start. day. The sun is shining. I did my, uh, I've got my exercise done for the day. It's all feeling good. See, I haven't had my exercise done for today, so I'm feeling pretty bad. I was going to, but I've got some plumbing issues at the house. Shower dripping, outside drain dripping, and the plumber rocked up today and uh, disrupted my chance to do exercise. So, um, so yeah. I'm Our counting. audience of teenagers have no idea what real life is like. It's invariably disrupted by one of your many appliances going wrong. It is. And this house, there is many an appliance going wrong at the moment because I want to move out of it and I don't want to spend any money on it. <laughs> so yeah, basically trying to tape, tape over everything until we get out of the house. Uh, so, yeah. But but enough about our uh, DIY issues. How's the uh, how's the week been so far? Were you um you were at Chelsea, weren't you, midweek? I was at Chelsea, yes. Um, there was 10 minutes where I thought I'd made a really good call because I, you know, it's an exciting game, that sort of game if if something goes wrong for Chelsea, isn't it? Um, and for 10 minutes it looked like it might be, but quite a good performance by them. I I think Cole Palmer looks like a really special player. It was good fun though. Afterwards, on uh, on scoreline on the Galazzo network, they asked me, "Oh, you know Cole Palmer for England?" And it's sort of like, "Yeah, go on. He'd be absolutely welcome to to come and keep Bakayo's seat warm and uh, give him a little bit of competition." I mean, it's you know you see guys like him, Foden, Saka, <laughs> Bellingham, Kane. I mean, it's quite exciting if you put it put your England glasses on. I think a lot of Arsenal fans here might not be over the moon to see. Chelsea winning yet again and another season where they're dreadful, but they still make it to a major final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that game reminded me. You remember, I can't remember what year it was. It was the 
It was the year when Arsenal lost to Birmingham in the final. But you remember they played Ipswich <laughs> in the semi-final and they lost 1-0 in Ipswich. I think they were championship then. Mm. They lost 1-0 at Portman Road and then brought them back to the Emirates in the second leg. And he kind of wasn't sure. It's like, is there going to be an upset or not? But Arsenal won it 3-0 and obviously this one was more co- comfortable. But um, yeah, they kind of ruined it, Chelsea, didn't they? We all tuned in hoping to see the upset. But within 20 minutes or 30 minutes, it was game over and they ruined the... Uh, they ruined the loop. I mean, it's been a quiet week, Arsenal-wise, isn't it? I mean, how do you, how do you view it? After the weekend, because obviously it was a good win. It was a really much much needed win, really, really important. Do you think having another 10 days off, how do you think they'll view it? Do you reckon they'll be disappointed with it? Do you just want to carry on at that point? Or do you think it might, given how many much football is going to be played between now and the end of the season, do you think having this basically a month with about one game, do you think it's going to work to Arsenal's benefit in the long term? Well, not really. I think there's a level, I think sort of the one break is great mm. after two you you kind of have to work quite hard just to keep rhythm in these guys legs i mean it's not bad at all I, I, but frankly you would rather have a sort of a game a mixture of games every seven days like they would have had at the moment and then you know the, with the odd midweek sprinkled in i think you know the what what we expect the pace to be in march april if arsenal go far enough in the champions league is a bit too taxing for this squad. But, you know, we've gone from too hot to too cold, really. We're not at the just right stage. And you, you know what guys like Saka, Rice, Erdegaard are like? They need games every three days. And Arteta in particular, like, he needs games every three days. We know that for sure. I don't think he will be uh, enjoying the downtime as much as it allows Arsenal to actually, you know, work on stuff and... We haven't spoken since the Palace game. I, I did think in that you could see they clearly like emphasised as much as set pieces. Just let's put some zip in the play, even in a slightly slow first half. Um, they were moving the ball a little bit quicker. I think that break was perfect. Another one, not ideal. Yeah, I wonder if they've sorted out a behind closed doors game. You know, sort of leaned over the fence at Watford and shouted over. Do <laughs> <laughs> you fancy coming over for a for a quick? 11 aside, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they've done something like that because it does feel like quite a long break on the back of the the um, the first one. What did you make of Palace? I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. Obviously, it's a long time ago, but um, it was they weren't brilliant, were they? Palace were dreadful. Arsenal weren't brilliant, but like you like you said, I thought it was noticeable. There was definitely a little bit more intent about the way Arsenal were trying to go about things. Didn't all work out, and and I think they did look like a team trying to rebuild a bit of confidence as well with the way they were playing but there was definitely they were trying to move the ball quicker they were maybe taking a few more chances and um and playing it forward more rather than sideways and I thought it ultimately look you can't complain at 5-0 five goals scored clean sheets goals for Trossard and Martinelli which were much much needed for those those guys as well so I mean it was just hard not to look at it as a decent day in the end yeah exactly decent day and certainly better in open play I thought Zinchenko had yeah. one of his better in possession games for a while. It's, but it's still that na- it's, it's nagging at me the, these sort of questions about are Arsenal really doing enough in open play? You know, are we going to have another against Forest on Tuesday? Are we going to have another gritty, grindy affair where it's the 80th minute and maybe Arsenal are 1 0 up? Maybe Forest are still holding on because I, I think. You know, the, the changes that have been made in midfield have made, and, and some of them obviously are enforced by injury, have made Arsenal just a little bit of a slow build team. 
And I think they're too slow build without having that sort of that guy in the middle that, you know, a Haaland, a Salah that can allow you at the end of 20 passes to just hit them and they'll score. So I still have my worries and I don't think one game was going to answer it, but it was probably also a reminder that things were nowhere near as bad as, as some might have feared after West Ham, Fulham and, and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Forest game is definitely going to be one of those one of those games. To be honest, whatever happens, I, I do think back to the game at the end of last season, and I imagine Forest are going to approach it in a very similar similar fashion. And especially with Nuno now in charge of, uh, of them, um, yeah, Nuno runs a, a good counter. He runs a good counter attacking team. Yeah, and they've got some good counter attacking players as well, haven't they? With Alanga and Gibbs White, you know, lots of pace there. So it's not going to be easy for Arsenal. I think it is going to be one of those games where it's not going to be the prettiest to watch, but got to win that match ahead of Liverpool absolutely essential Arsenal find a way of winning that I've got dreadful memories of City ground following Arsenal as well I don't I've not seen Arsenal win at the City ground ever um as a fan or as a journalist I went my days covering Reading when I was at the Reading newspaper I saw Reading win there once but other than that I've just constantly seen teams lose I mean one of the games the FA Cup game you know when Arsenal lost yes. one and went out in the FA Cup I didn't even make it to the ground I got stuck my tie blew out on the M- <laughs> on the M6 or whatever it was on the or the M1 on the way up there and I spent 10 hours on the side of the road on the motorway I had to listen to Arsenal lose on the radio uh, I sort of suspect was- if you'd known what was then coming in May of the following year, you might then just have slashed your tyres before making that. Exactly. As well. And then obviously I went up there last season and saw the title, the title officially thrown away. So it's not a happy hunting ground for me. Hopefully, um, hopefully uh, this this week will be a little bit better or Tuesday night will be a bit better. I've got a question from one of our viewers in terms of that game and who should potentially start right at the end. So we'll go back to it at some point. But I wanted to start. We're, I mentioned this on my show this morning. I was talking to talking about it. It's, Obviously, Thomas Partey's on his way back now, as far as I'm aware, you know, he's tra- training this week, could well feature in that game against Nottingham Forest. Urian Timber's not too far away, you know, still obviously you've got to take things very easy with, with Urian Timber. But it just raises that question of what is what is Arsenal's best team when everyone's fit and available? If everyone is fit and available, what is Mikel Arteta's best team and I kind of was focusing my show this morning on the midfield and I think it's really interesting what Arteta's going to do when stroke if everyone is fit and um how do you view it well when you sort of look at it when you if you look at the squad and you look at everyone's fit and available who would you put down as Arsenal's best 11 say they're playing I know it's quite hard because it's like well who against are you talking about home home against mm. Sheffield United or are you talking away at, at Liverpool so it's quite hard I suppose to actually definitively answer that question but in terms of quality how people might work together what do you view as Arsenal's best team when everyone's available I suppose like yeah like like you say it can be hard to pick but ultimately your best team is the one that pays in the biggest games isn't it yeah and this I think we sort of forget that when Partey was fit most of the time we Gabriel was, was on the outside all the the talk about Aliti had and the interest there so Partey was being sort of shoehorned in at right back which I have to say I didn't didn't really think ever worked and since then what we've got is a, a lot more data on and a lot more insight on Kai Havertz um how often do our conversations end up coming back to Kai Havertz uh, and I have to say, I think that as much as he kind of individually has improved, the left side of Arsenal's um, midfield doesn't look better at all. Um, so I would, I think the defence is is the defence we know it to be. So Raya, 
White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Fernando. You don't think Timber? I, I, I think the it's worst thing... It's hard to make a decision that... on him, isn't it? We, we just haven't seen... We've seen good signs yeah. from him, but it's hard to say for sure if he's Arsenal's best option at left-back over <laughs> Zinchenko. So if we were talking about next season, I would probably say, oh yeah, Timber. I think, I think, I think at some stage next season, Timber will become a starter, probably at left back. But you know, there's the sort of he's back in training soon, and I mean, remember what Arteta's. You know, we've got to remember what Arteta said here. It is a long time they expect before he is really able to feature in in a serious way. Um, yeah. back in training and then there are still several weeks of training that will be required I, I would expect and then you know he has to get back to trusting himself everyone that goes through these ACL injuries and knee injuries say look one of the hardest parts is just trusting your body again and then he has to adapt to a new league so I think we really need to be reasonable to Yuri and Timber and say next season let, let's make fair assessment on him then so Zinchenko Thomas Partey at the base. It's a weird thing with Declan Rice. He leads the Premier League in progressive passes, but I feel like he just takes too long to make those passes. Um, I think he's been quite good at left eight. So I'll have Rice left eight, Erdegaard right eight, Saka, Jesus, Martinelli. I think the rest sorts itself really. Is that I, I haven't seen your show. Apologies. Um, is that what you kind of fell down on the side of? I think that is. I mean, I didn't give it in my show. I was talking more about the midfield, but I, I tend to agree with you. I would say, I would say that's right. You know, I'd definitely go with that midfield three of party at the base, and then I'd have Rice next to Odegaard. For now, um, I really, I did like Smith Rowe's little cameo against mm. Palace at the weekend. I thought that was that was promising. I thought Jorginho played really well when he came on as well. The subs all worked in that game. Um, but yeah, say Arsenal ahead into. Yeti had on Saturday and everyone's fit. That's the midfield I'm I'm playing. I would, you know, and I'm I'm. This is purely hypothetical. If everyone's fit, so I'm I'm taking Urian Timber as 100% fit right now in this when I'm picking the team. And I would probably, from what I saw from him in the summer, and I know it's it was a small sort of uh, set to take from him, but. I did really like him. I thought he looked a hell of a talent. I would probably have from that very brief um, thing that I have in my head from him, I'd probably have him over Zinchenko from what I saw. But it would be a flip of the coin type thing, I think, at the moment. Um, but the rest of it, I think it, it picks itself, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be going for that. I've had a couple of viewers come in, and um, this one from Sanjit says, our strongest 11 when everyone's fit. He's gone Raya, Saliba, Gabriel. He's gone party at right back. Uh, no. Timber, Timber at left. And then Rice with Zinchenko playing as a left eight and Odegaard, Saka, Gabriel, Stroke, Kai, or uh, and Martinelli up front. So that's one from Sanjit. Interesting to see party right back. I would love here. to see Zinchenko left eight. One. Day. I would love to see Zinchenko left eight as well. And I think there's a there's a feeling that once Timber's back fit, that is something we're going to see more often. <laughs> I'm not convinced that is the case because I don't see why just having Timber back fit would allow means he will Arteta will suddenly start to do that because I do feel he's had yeah. options to do that anyway and he's still not taking it yet. Uh am a bit is that I can't pronounce that. I'm really sorry, I'm afraid. Um but thank you for getting in touch. You say Ryer in goal, Tommy at right back. So no Ben White in this team. Gabriel Saliba Timber. Tommy, did we? 
Party, Rice, Odegaard, Saka, Trossard and Jesus playing on the left. So no Martinelli. He says, of course, not for every game, but I would love to have this combination. It also gives Mikel so many options that he can throw on Martinelli for Jesus or Trossard. Havertz can come off the bench to provide aerial threat. We need more attacking midfields. Zinchenko stroke ESR can be thrown on. Interesting, Tommy over Ben White. Um, well, we all know Tommy was in brilliant form so far this season before, before he picked up. The latest injury. So there's a couple of a couple of different choices. I mean, the, the Jesus out wide is <laughs> an interesting one. I, but I have to say, like this is dreadful. Um, I kind of almost forgot Takahiro Tomiyasu, who was being one of Arsenal's best players this season. Mm. Um, and if we're sort of talking about best eleven, like an eleven to go to the Etihad, go to yeah, Anfield. that is true. Well, no, that's done. Um, I, I, like. We should also say how disappointing it is that uh, Japan have done exactly what we expected and made it out of the group stages at the Asia Cup. Because uh, we don't know what happened with. I mean, obviously, it doesn't look like they'll come up against Salah, but at um, against Liverpool on the fourth, Tommy Asu is is in that team if he's available. Yeah. And if they I go out, I think they're playing on Tuesday. If they Ooh. go out, he's going to be back in time. It's Tuesday or Wednesday. If, if they go out, I mean, did you see um, Inaki Williams yesterday came back, scored for Atletico Madrid like a day after Ghana got knocked out. So, um, you know, there's there's still a chance if if Tommy gets knocked out, if Japan get knocked out, that he could potentially be available against Japan. Looks like it's Wednesday, 11.30 our time. Right. Uh, it's only, I mean, obviously this is only in Qatar. That's not that far. Like, no. it's not a huge journey, but... It's also like Japan in the Asia Cup. I don't know who we don't know who they'll play yet, but they're not probably not getting knocked out. There's a chance they could get South Korea, isn't there? Well, if it's South Korea, they're definitely not getting knocked out because we record this now. South Korea, managed by the atrocious Jurgen Klinsmann, are losing to Malaysia. Are they? Have you been watching much of the the tournament? Afcon has been unreal. The the final group stage games of Afcon were honestly some of the most the funniest, most dramatic international games that I've seen. The Ghana stroke Egypt yes. games where it was just genuinely bonkers. It was so much fun to watch. Obviously not if you're Ghanaian, but it was so much fun to watch. It was unbelievable drama. It's the that I mean that in particular was I mean I was watching that put you know Ghana went 2 0 up and I flicked over to Egypt because feeling of drama there and I was getting all my drama which meant I never even really checked the Ghana score. So it, it was almost like being at the ground or being like an Egyptian player because I suddenly discovered in like the 95th minute, wait, Ghana are at 2-2 now and Egypt are fine anyway. It was, this that, that tournament is incredible. A- Asia Cup has had some really good moments as well. You know, Iraq losing to, uh, beating Japan. Yeah. Um, there's been some fun moments there, but like, you know, I think we're, we're the same in the UK timing wise. I'm quite often in the middle of work when that one's on. Um, and AFCON is like, you've just sat down from work. Something chaotic is happening on the TV. Yeah. I love it. We even Cameroon the next day as well. You know, Cameroon were, what, they were 2-1 <laughs> down, weren't they? Came back to win 3-2 with two late goals as well. It's just been, it's just been absolutely mad. A lot of fun. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, I'm looking forward to the knockouts. How, you know, how Ghana managed to mess that up. Chris Hughes has obviously gone already from that. But did you, did you watch it? I mean, the guy, the goalkeeper, the guy completely sliced his shot a goal. This was at two, just after two one, and it was just going wide for a goal kick. And the keeper went to ke- catch it, and he just somehow dropped it over line to give away the corner that they scored the equaliser from. And he's just like, "Oh mate, you're going to be thinking about that for so long after." Just yeah, 
absolutely mad. Chaos. Lots of fun. Tommy Asu, I agree, actually. Having gone back to what we were talking about, Tommy Asu, when you're talking about Arsenal's best 11, if you are going to someone like the Etihad, and like you said, you sort of, when you pick your best 11, you're thinking this for the toughest games, this is your best 11. Yeah, having debated over Zinchenko and um, Timber, I've totally forgotten about Tommy Asu. <laughs> I probably would right now put a left-back. If Arsenal were playing Liverpool against and going up against Mo Salah, out of everyone, I'd be picking Tommy Asu to go up against him, no doubt. So probably Tommy does sneak in there. At full fitness, that is Arsenal have a sensational defensive like mm. squad. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we've seen Kivio's had difficulties at left back, but I think he's a really promising young centre back. And everyone else we know has has played very well in an Arsenal shirt, except Timber. And, and what we've seen of him is that he's going to do the same. It's you, you know, a lot of people sort of say, "Oh, they need another centre back," or "Is is Jarrell Hato too young, or whatever?" I think, they, I mean, they could be set fair for three, four, five years with the options they've got, if they can keep them all. Would you play, if Thomas Partey gets a whole week of training this week and he's fit and he goes travels to Nottingham Forest, would you play him at the city ground? Uh, not from the off, but try and give him enough time if he's fit. And I mean, you know, I've heard similar to you, but he's a guy that sort of only ever feels one training session away from a setback. But if he's fit, I give him as much time as is sort of necessary for him to be ready to start against Liverpool. Liverpool, and I know, yeah. I mean, I, that would be a a big step and a bit of a gamble with Partey's fitness. But at, at some stage, I mean, obviously, you know, you have to player care matters. But at, at some stage, you, you have to say this is a game where Thomas were willing to sort of gamble as long as we, you know, as long as you're not gambling with his long term fitness. You know, say we're willing to say that you might get a hamstring injury and be out for six weeks if we can get you uh, against Liverpool, because if Arsenal lose this Liverpool game, as, as we've been saying for weeks, it the avenues to the title become very narrow. And if they yeah. win, right back in it. Yeah, Liverpool, of course, into the League Cup final as well now, still on for four trophies. They're doing, they're very quietly putting themselves into position Good. to have one hell of a season, Liverpool, aren't they? They um. Yeah, fair play to them. They just, they just got goals in that team, haven't they, Liverpool? They just score. You take Salah out of it, they still got goals in it. Lots of good players there, but we'll talk about that Liverpool game as we go on. Some big news, really, from Arsenal. So, well, I don't know, big news, do you want to call it that? But Richard Garlick, obviously, now announced he's going to take over from Vinay. He's going to be managing director. Vinay, obviously, CEO now. He used to be managing director, now he's CEO. But Richard Garlick is going to basically take on his position in a different name, going Arsenal reverting back to the managing director. Position from 2024. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the quotes here from Josh Kroenke. And Richard is recognised and respected across the industry for his vast experience. We're delighted when he joined us back in 2021 to take our football strategy to the next level. Richard has been key to the progress we've made as a club, including recent tri- transfers. And I'm thrilled he will now lead our executive team and continue to drive the club forward with passion. Um, thoughts on this one? What do you reckon? I mean, I, I like it. Very competent, very well respected, both within Arsenal and within the industry. I, I mean, I think that's especially in the within the Premier League. Is obviously did he come from West Brom, if I remember correctly? Um, but he, he came from the Premier League. He came from the Premier. He came League, from the he? Premier League, and he'd yeah. worked at, at West he'd Brom. Been at so, West Brom, yeah. I, I, I think when you sort of talk to people um, around the, the sort of. Premier League deals that Arsenal have done, and they've done a lot more of them in the last few years. 
I think it's very clear that that Richard Garlick plays a big role in that, and you know is is well regarded by the clubs he does business with, um, which is really important. I think with this managing director role, like you know, the stage widens, and we've seen Vinay take it for most of his time. It was a brief moment around the Super League where he didn't, but we've seen Vinay take on a, a big role with the uh, ECA, um, and that that becomes part of Garlick's operation. The thing that's Interesting me, and I'd, I'd like to get your take on this as well. I mean, Garlic is one of the few high-level, like, additions to the the club that's come from outside Arsenal, and it's really interesting that you know since the Cronkies have taken full charge, you've seen a lot of people just just sort of trickle up the org chart, mm. and like you know, like Garlic, Vinay, um, Edu as well, sort of obviously came externally, but then. In significantly increased this sort of power base without mm. wishing to make it sound too Machiavellian. It does seem like that the, the Cronkies really like looking within, I guess yeah. is a fair view at the moment. Yeah, no, I think they do. Obviously, had the big appointment of Tim Lewis, who'd been in and around, but not yeah. officially, but then they appointed him officially. He's obviously really, really important to them as well. But I think with Garlic, they, they kind of wanted, as far as I'm aware, from very brief conversations I've had today following this appointment, that continuity was a, was a big thing for them and they want you know they've really liked what as as a quote said they've really liked what he's done since he's arrived at the club and um and they feel the club's on the right path with the people who are there pushing it forwards and and they just felt like this was the best the best thing for them to do he's really well respected i mean i've met him a few times comes across really well obviously very smooth operator um not not you <sighs> not the generic type of football executive that you tend to meet in this job. I have to say when you just feel, you feel a lot more comfortable around him than you do talking to some others. I'd say mm. he's, he's, he's just that sort of character, quite bubbly, quite fun, um, easy to get on with. And, um, and I'm not surprised that he's very well liked within football circles um, and very well respected as well. Look, I think he's done a good job since he's come to Arsenal, no doubt about it. And, um, you know, I'm I'm quite. When I saw this news announced today, I thought, yeah, fair play. You know, put him up there. He seems like he's deserved it with the work he's done since he's arrived, and hopefully he'll, he'll go forward. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I don't really have too many views on <laughs> that much. Yeah. It's like it, it is an executive position, and um, as much as we can all have our say on how we think, sometimes clubs are being run. I think ultimately you just got to put trust in the people behind the scenes to get these these appointments right and he's not done anything wrong since he's arrived at Arsenal and I know that he's definitely impressed a lot of people so it feels like a pretty safe appointment to me yeah exactly like you say it's I think it's more of a worry when you sort of get invested in like you know the Manchester when Manchester United fans were I mean to an extent understandably they've obviously just appointed their new CEO um, from City and there was excitement and I know there's that you know there are these specific things of poaching someone that had been on the city pathway and was well regarded there. But also like, you know, the reason we don't have any great like excitement or reaction to this Richard Garlic news is because Arsenal are a well-run club. Mm. They don't need, they don't need their managing director to be a savior. They just need him to keep Arsenal on the trajectory they're on, perhaps, you know, increase the, the speed of it, but like they're on the right path. Yeah. yeah. 
He's not. He's not as much of a commercial guy as as Vinay is, which is quite interesting. You know, Vinay's obviously Richard Garlick's always much been much more been on the football side of things than commercial side of things, and it's kind of the opposite for Vinay. He's always been mainly on the commercial side of things with getting involved in the football side of things uh, a little bit more. But so it'll be interesting to see how that all works and the the change works in, in that regard. But yeah, ultimately, like you said, it just feels like a. a, a a decent appointment from a club that is pretty well run at the moment. And you can always get caught up in all the excitement of these sort of appointments. And like you said, what's going on with Man United at the moment from poaching Manchester City. It's like, honestly, you look at it on Twitter and it's like the fans celebrating a just signed Lionel Messi in his prime or something. It's like, ultimately, is it really going to make that much of a difference? It's probably not. You think back to Arsenal when they got appointed Sven Mislintat and the excitement yeah. there. He's going to sign every single best kid we've ever known. Oh, Diamond oh. Eye. Diamond Eye, that's what he was called, Diamond wasn't he? And all, all that. And, and, and then ultimately, it's like, well, within 18 months, he's gone. And the same when Raul Sanyei comes. It's like, oh, he's got the contacts book that is going to open up the world to Arsenal. And then within 18 months, he's gone. and it, Or whatever it was. And so, yeah, ultimately, it's not the, the biggest of things. I think you're more it, it's, it's better when these sort of appointments just go on under the radar a little bit and they do their jobs under the radar a little bit rather than um, us get too bothered too much about it. Um Right. wanted to bring this one up. I thought this was quite interesting. It's, it, it's generated so much debate on social media over the last sort of 24 hours or so. Uh, the Premier League very much seemingly enjoying pointing out Arsenal's set-piece tactics, um, which certainly annoyed a bit of the fan base, the social media fan base, um, for them doing it. I, I, I can kind of understand why. I mean, this is your tweet. You're watching. You're obviously taking a mickey a little bit about it, saying... Uh, Obviously, all the clubs will be well aware um, of what's going on, and that it doesn't really matter that the Premier League have done it. Which I can kind of, I, I, I agree, absolutely. But then it, I did find it quite interesting that the Premier League have done it because you don't. I've just not seen it really with anything else. First, you had man, match of the day with the socks, the Odegaard socks stuff, and then now you've got the Premier League doing this, and it's like it just feels really overly analytical of them on a set piece routine and set pe- set piece routine so i just not really seen it analyzed anywhere near as much for any other team so i can kind of understand from the fans point of view as well like wh- why are you doing this why are you highlighting this but then i also understand what no, you're I... the opposition and analytics teams will be well aware of it because that's their job and the referees the officials will be well aware of it as well and i don't think it's necessarily going to mean that next time the referees will be calling fouls on every single time Arsenal do this because I don't think there's anything overly there's no foul in that no there's no foul there you know referees are well aware of blockers you hear it on the VAR when they're talking about it they talk Mm. about blockers and stuff so they're not giving going to give that as a foul but um but yeah it was quite it's been quite an interesting 24 hours watching uh, watching it all unfold on social I yeah I I mean I, I I thought the the sock thing was more interesting not least because actually I think that's a great opportunity for Arsenal to start messing with, starting with Nottingham Forest. You know, if I was Martin Odegaard, I'd be pulling one sock up, pulling one sock down and all of that. And it would not be the trigger because you can change that trigger in, you know, I mean, the, from what, and this is, I think the th- first thing is this is brilliant analysis by, um, was it, it was it Dion Dublin, whoever it was on match of the day. Um, it's great analysis to pick to pick this up, and I mean, I I really enjoyed finding that out because, again, like I said, you know, I don't think this is going to be something that Premier League clubs are unaware of, and it's not something that Arsenal can't respond to. I mean, I actually, I think I haven't read Adrian. This is linked to Adrian Clark's piece, and I made a mental note to read that, but I haven't yet. 
But what you sort of see on that video is you basically see Trossard running a screen or a, a blocking run, whatever you want to call it, just to make a lane for Gabriel. I mean, this yeah. is hardly like that's set piece 101. People were yeah. doing that at set pieces in the 90s. I mean, there are interesting thing is there are interesting things you could talk about. Um, and I, one thing that's been playing with, on my mind a lot is if you see the second goal that Gabriel scores, I, I'm still considering this a Gabriel goal, whatever the PG, the Premier League say. There's a brilliant move where Gabriel Jesus runs what, like in basketball, you would consider a proper screenplay where he runs into Chris Richards and takes his man, who I, I can't remember who his man is, Nathaniel Klein, I think, with him. And Klein, Klein, Klein effectively acts as the screener for, for Gabriel to get free and blocks Richard's path. And one thing I'd be really intrigued by is do opposition defenders start now switching? Like, you know, you, you know you're not a big NBA guy, but folks that follow the NBA will know what I mean by that. But effectively that Richards is marking Gabriel, Klein is marking Jesus. If those two run a screen into each other, do the does the marking flip? Like, and this is complicated stuff. Mm. And it's stuff that that what we say publicly, football clubs are miles ahead of anyway. They have access to and time to break this down in much greater depth. So there's just no need to worry. I think the big thing is, is a quiet 10 days for Premier League content. The Premier League's had five games. None of them were particularly big games. They don't have any this weekend. I think they just wanted to do a fun tweet praising Arsenal. It says so much about where this fan base is at, the sort of... On, the online fan base is at the sort of trigger hair of it. Yeah. You can't even praise Arsenal anymore without it being part of the shadowy cabal whose sole priority is to stop one of the um, biggest clubs in the Premier League from mounting a, a, a title challenge. Even though any anyone with a sinister agenda would desperately want a Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal title race because they're by miles the three biggest teams, as you and I know, because we've seen... Uh, Google Analytics and Chartbeat before. That's what that's what the Premier League would want. Eyeballs. Man, Man, Arsenal winning. Man United winning. But they don't do that. What did you make of the reaction to the fact that Arsenal scored a couple of set pieces at the weekend and have you know been very successful with set pieces this season? It's almost been. I, I thought it was. It's been quite interesting to look at the reaction. It's almost like they look. People are looking down on it, and you kind of get judged for scoring set pieces, mm. which I think is a bit weird. Obviously, you, you want to score plenty of open play goals and score these, you know, gorgeous goals that you can watch replay after replay of that you can boast about and all that sort of stuff. But set pieces are really important. I thought Mikel's comments after the game were were, were decent about it. Um, you know, when you're playing against teams who play like they do against Arsenal, set pieces are so crucial because once you get a goal, if you can get a goal that way, it then does open up. You know, do, would, would Arsenal have gone on to score the goals they did in the second half if the game state hadn't altered because of the fact they'd got themselves two goals against a low block from set pieces and gave them, which meant that Palace then had to come out more in the second half and commit more men forward in the second half, which allowed them to get broken on for the third goal. Um, and I love a good set piece goal. I, I really do. But so as well, like Gabriel's first goal was brilliant. I thought it was such a good header. He got, got so high up. And I, and like looking at the, the sort of how they're all analysed as well and how clever the movements are and all that. It's just so much work goes into them as well with Nicholas Yeover and everything. And I thought it was really interesting. Kai Havertz was peeling off so deep for the set pieces so deep. as well. Really, really deep for, for, for them in the first half. And they'd obviously done so much work on it over in Dubai. 
and it worked. And Arsenal scored two goals because of it. And so I just don't, I don't get why you look down on it. If, if you're solely relying on set pieces, it's not ideal, obviously. But Arsenal aren't solely relying on set pieces. They're scoring goals from from out, uh, outside play as well. It'd be good to score more, definitely. But it's not like every single goal they score is from a set piece. And um, it's a really important part of the play. Part, part of, and it just helps a team like Arsenal when you're coming up against defensives that you are to be able to score that way. And, I mean, the thing that intrigues me now is the more this enters the sort of lexicon, and we've been talking about it for weeks, but we know there's a level where it jumps from, you know, your Arsenal focus media into national interest. And I guarantee, I bet you uh, on Monday at Mikel Arteta's presser before Nottingham Forest, he'll be asked about set pieces and he's very asked about set pieces. <laughs> I think Arsenal may, might now be good enough at and dangerous enough at corners and free and you know free kick delivery that it that the teams start adjusting to make sure that Arsenal don't get corners. Like you know, let's say on Tuesday night, uh, Martin Odegaard thumps the ball, deflects off a Forest player, and it's about to go out for a corner. If you were a Forest defender, you would, you know, knowing what you know, you would be sprinting back to do anything you can to keep the ball in play. And that gives Arsenal another chance to attack. So hopefully Arsenal are kind of in this virtuous cycle where the threat they pose for, from set pieces means that kind of play, the opponents have to then compensate and give them more time and keep the ball more in the, in the, in Arsenal's, in the Arsenal attacking third. I mean, we'll see. It might be that, you know, clubs just go, well, yeah, they're good at them, but a set piece is still low value compared to just letting Odegaard wander into the box. But, yeah, it, I mean, like like you say, I, it's, it, there's no, like, aesthetically better goal. And I think the weird thing post that brilliant Barcelona team of Pep Guardiola, that, that it was sort of almost became a moral, you know, the morally correct way to play football is to have your diminutive creative midfielders ping the ball around for 40 passes and then dump the ball in the net. Well, guess what? Like that very rarely leads to goals. Set pieces might do rapid turnovers do and uh, Arsenal, like it's hard for Arsenal to get those things when they play no. the way they it, do. There's got to be a balance, obviously not solely relying on it, but you think of some of the best, you know, I grew up on George Graham's Arsenal teams. <laughs> I mean, literally Steve Bold near post flick on smudger or Tony Adams coming in far post. You think of, Mourinho's great Chelsea teams, how many goals John Terry used to score from set pieces, Carvalho, Drogba. You know, it's, it's a really, really important part of the game. And I just don't see why it should be sneered upon uh, at all. I think it's really, really odd. Um, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Transfers wise, where are we now? What's the date? <laughs> Let me have a look. I should, I 25th? Know. 25th. So we are, it's a week tomorrow, isn't it? Straight after the day after the Forest game is transfer deadline day. Uh, nothing's happened yet. Do you think anything's going to happen between now and the end? What your, what your, uh, you know, what you got thoughts in your head about how the next six days are going to pan out at Arsenal? Listen, I'd be really surprised. I mean, I live to be surprised, um, but I've not heard anything, and I, you, I do ask, um, and no one's saying anything. I, 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 I love the reports around Carl Walker Peters. Um, that would be re- really expensive, though, wouldn't it, given where Southampton are and what they're hoping to achieve? And I, I'm sure they will. You know, the thing I always hear is, look, the, the eyes are open. They haven't sort of said, we're doing no business. But it's just, n- nothing seems to be breaking loose. The market is gummed up by these PSR worries. Um, and so, you know, unless a club I'm unaware of comes in and offers huge money for a, a fringe player, I just don't see much, much really happening. Especially like you say now that we're near to having Partey back, Tommy Asu, it's, it's getting closer. Um, this uh, and Timber as well. It's just no, I can't see much. I know that uh, oh, Marseille, def- Marseille definitely want Nuno Tavares permanently as well. They want to buy him this month. Um, but Arsenal are in a bit of a bad position because they don't have a recall clause on him in their deal we're not in a forest with him and Nuno's playing him at the moment. So Forest are in no you know, Forest don't need to give him back. Um so it'll be interesting to see what what happens with that. But I mean that's not going to be a, a, a deal breaker. And I mean how much do you, how much money do you think Arsenal could get for Nuno tomorrow? What do they sign him for? Seven million. Do you think they'd get a profit on Nuno if they sold him oh, now? No. No. Two, three I mean, he's he's just someone that they, 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 everyone, the world and his uncle knows they want off their books. Yeah, Marseille, so, Marseille won him. He did well there last season, didn't he? he did. I want, I reckon they, I, I think you break even on Tavares. I think you give, yeah, if you're only getting two or three million for Nuno, that's that's not great, surely. Yes, what, seven million. I, I, what's that? You say this, you know, we were saying the same. Yeah, I know. I agree. Nketiah, Smith Rowe. Rob Holding, I still get I still get grief for my tweets about <laughs> Rob Holding saying the Palace must be laughing for getting him for a million. I still get that tweet does I mean, around a lot. Like you say, without that recall clause, presumably. Well, you probably have to pay for his compensation, wouldn't you? If you so if, yeah. if you if they're going to agree to let him go, so whatever money you get from Marseille, you're probably going to have to siphon a fair bit of that to Nottingham Forest's compensation for recalling mm. him for getting him back early for them agreeing to do that. So they're not in the greatest of position when it comes to that. But you look at what else might happen. I can't see anyone else going. Cedric, obviously, there's interest in Cedric um, potentially going to Turkey or even Spain, Portugal as well. So there's a few things hit with him that could that could happen. But other than that, I'm not expecting anyone to surprise us by coming in with a big bid for a, for a, for a Smith Rowe or an Inketia. You never know. Obviously, you don't know what other clubs are planning, but I'd be surprised. I think it's going to be a quiet end to the window, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, that Smith-Rowe stuff is sort of indicative of everything, isn't it? Is like there's a very brief 
conversation where it's very clear. I mean, if even that, you know, West Ham briefly raised the prospect, it's dismissed immediately by Arsenal. Um, and yet it being this January window, it is sort of leads Sky Sports News and it's all over the Twitter feeds and all that. And it's just a sort of non-story really. Yeah. And that's January this year. It's a shame, isn't it? Because uh, remember the good old days of, of Aubameyang, Giroud, Batshuayi, triple deals and all that. Huh. I wonder if it, the sign, if it all points towards a really mental summer though. You know, everyone's kind of keeping their keeping their finances in order, getting ready for the summer, and are really going to go going to go pretty big. It could well be a really busy one, I think, in the summer. I still feel Absolutely. like there's going to be a big deal done. I, I feel like someone like Newcastle, who I know we keep talking about FFP or whatever you call it now, profit and sustainability, but um, and that they like everyone are, are really struggling with it. I, I still just have a feeling they're going to do something, either get huge money for someone that will probably move off to Saudi Arabia and then spend big on someone else. So I, I feel like there's still going to be something to happen in this window, but uh, but yeah, we'll wait and see. I, I fully decided, by the way, that the striker that I want Arsenal to sign is Alexander Isaac. I, I've 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 switched to Isaac 100% out of everyone. If I could pick, someone gave me 100 million pounds and said, go and sign a striker for Arsenal, it'd be him. Yeah, I think if he's cheaper than Osimhen, like notably cheaper than Osimhen, I I would. Um, I can't imagine it'd be noticed. How much did they pay for? They paid about seventy odd million for him. Though, didn't yeah, they? I think you're talking like a hundred. I'm I'm looking at him at like a hundred to hundred and ten. And Osimhen's hundred and thirty. I really like Isaac, and I do. I just the more I think about it, and this isn't based on any information. You know, I'm not saying that they're going to go and sign him or they mm. want to sign him or anything. I just, I just feel like he'd be perfect for Arsenal and yeah. the way Arteta plays. And he can play on the, he can play out wide. He can play central striker. He presses really well. Clearly, he can finish. He's strong. He's got a bit of bite to him. He's aggressive. I, I think, I think, I think it'd be great. I, he's absolutely my my pick for the uh, for sign out. Signing. I don't think I would, happen. I would love it. He would be my top choice as well, except maybe Osman. No, I, I'm 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 moving away from Osman. Uh, I'm uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to him, but I, I'd prefer if you'd say right now Isaac or Osman. I'm going Isaac. I have to say. Okay, let's move on. Do the uh, sort of questions part of the show. What we actually God, we had forty five minutes already. Um, so, yeah, we've got a fair, fair few questions, so we'll rattle through some of these. Hampstead Owl has got in touch. He said, isn't it time to take a long, hard look at what Gabriel Jesus brings to the team? His PL record this season is woeful, three goals to assist. For those waiting for him to catch fire, might start to think that you've got more chance of a block of ice. Agreed, he can bamboozle <laughs> Merchant in and around the box, but we have got several other players who can do that. As his stats show, his actual direct or once-removed goal product is negligible. I know Charles always responds by saying Arsenal are a better team when Jesus is playing, but does he really believe that or is he just wishful thinking uh, Then says his Champions League figures are better? Uh, I do really believe that. I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's facts. I think Arsenal are better when Gabriel Jesus plays. Um, I'm not saying that Gabriel Jesus should not be replaced. And if Arsenal, you know, as I've just been talking about, if Arsenal went and signed Alexander Isaac or someone like that this summer or an Osimhen, then I would say I would want them to start the season as Arsenal's number nine. But, I still think Gabriel Jesus got a huge part to play in, in in Arsenal's next couple of seasons, and um, I still think he's a very good player. And I think Arsenal right now are definitely a better team when he's playing and he's fit. So I don't think that's wishful thinking at all. But what are your thoughts, James? Well, I, I agree with everything you said, but it's not very fun. Like it doesn't make great content for us, does it? If I just immediately agree with you, um, 
So I've got one stat that might change your mind. Gabriel Jesus has the same number of Premier League goals this season as Mikhailo Mudrik. Like, it's just not good enough, is it? And I don't know. Of course, has he's Mudrick been got, injured. Has Mudrik got three has, Premier League goals? Yeah, I don't know how many of them he meant, but he's got Definitely three goals. Been one in, he scored in, against Fulham, didn't he? he scored against Fulham and Arsenal. Minutes. Yeah. It's got to turn into end product. Like, yeah, as much yeah, as I, of course it does. As much as you are right, Arsenal are a better team with him than with than without him, and that's the point. Is you don't just sort of get to swap him for Osimhen or Isaac right now. You have the squad you have, hmm. um, and I don't think I, you know, I don't think Enketia is that. Kai Havertz is not a centre forward, and he doesn't want to play as one. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't think. I. I, I think Kai Havertz is a centre forward. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows what Kai Havertz is. I think I, think, I, think I would Kai include Havertz, Havertz in that. I think I think um, he's and I don't think he's going to be the one that will suddenly become the goal every other game at least. No, centre no, no, forward. He won't, be, he won't be that. So, given that, you might as well give, give me the centre forward who brings a bit of everything else, and that is Jesus. Yeah, if everyone's like, fit, to say it's, yeah, he starts. Yes, if everyone's exactly. fit, he starts. And, so and when, when is he being fit? When he's and firing, I guess is the thing, fit and sharp. We've not seen that. We saw that Gabriel Jesus when he arrived and he looked really, really special. Too many injuries. And that's the other worry. And that's the other reason why you have to, have to. The bulk of Arsenal's money in the summer, as far as I'm concerned, has to go on a centre forward because we have two seasons now. We, we are, how many seasons have we seen Gabriel Jesus as a regular 35 starts in the Premier League striker? Um, I'm not an expert on what it was like at City, but there's the injuries have, have mounted. And, and it's hard to believe that someone who's 26, 27, that will change. Mm. As many yeah, goals as Romero as well, by the way. I don't think the injuries have helped at all with him. Um, you know, it's just very stop-start. I don't think any player, when it's all stop-start all the time, can be at their best. But look, when Gabriel, when he's at his best, he's very, very good. There's no doubt about that. And we've seen that in flashes this season in certain games, like Hampstead Al points out in the Champions League, he's been absolutely fantastic in some of those games. You think back to Sevilla home and away, he was just outstanding, albeit against a pretty poor Sevilla side. But um, I still think he's got a lot to offer over the second half of the season. And for me, if everyone's fit right now in this Arsenal squad, he starts as a number nine. So... Um, here's one from Guna72. Question for yourself and James to ponder over. Are there any players in their current positions in a setup in the top 10 teams in the Premier League that you'd directly swap and then bin our player? For example, yes, I'd swap Alisson for Raya. Left back, no, I'd keep Timber. Left centre back, I'd keep Gabriel, keep Saliba. Right back, he would swap Trent for Ben White. CDM, he'd keep Rice. Central attacking midfielder, keep Party. Central attacking. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I see what he means. Um, uh, yeah, uh, swap KDB for Odegaard, keep Gabby Martinelli, keep Saka to swap Haaland for Jesus. Oh, um, but what would what would City, what would Arsenal lose with from off ball work with Erling Haaland up front? Yeah, I think that's an absolute no brainer. Obviously, I'd keep Haaland for Jesus. I'd swap Haaland for Jesus. Uh, I'd probably swap Mo Salah for Saka as much as I love Saka. If uh, right now, if you're saying to me, who would you? Well, are we make it. Are we making this decision for for like one game or yeah. five years? Well, it's current players, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm not thinking what they're going to turn into or how good they're going to turn into, how long they're going to be playing. If it, yeah, for this weekend's game, if you're off me Salah or Saka at right wing, I'm choosing I'm choosing Salah as much as I love Bukayo. 
Um, well, it also means that Liverpool don't get to play him. Yeah, and uh, I agree. I'd have Ke- I'd have De Bruyne over Odegaard. I'd probably have Rodri in there over either. Well, I'd have Rodri as, as a CDM, but I'm not sure I'd have Party in central attacking midfielder that he's put put here. I wouldn't be playing Party in that position. I think out of all three CDM, if you, I'd, I'd have Rodri over Rice or Party as a CDM. And uh, uh, I don't know another CDM. I'd probably, I'd probably have James Madison. <laughs> I really like James Madison. You can't be saying things like that on an Arsenal podcast. I know, though. but what if it's, see, I don't know. He's he's listed party as a central attack midfielder. Obviously, I... I'd be in that position. I'd be lifting Kai Havertz really because that's what, how it plays out at Arsenal. And I'd certainly be having someone like Madison over over Havertz. So um, I don't. Would you have Trent over Ben White in that as yes. a right back? Yes. Yeah. I suppose. I mean, because I mean, like, especially if you've got like a timber, you'll just swap where you you would do the inversion. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is not as simple as it sounds, but, you know, for Trent, we'd make it work. You would make it the, work the, for what he offers and the numbers he'd bring. You, you kind of have to make it work, wouldn't you? Uh, so, I mean, I, I would like, I mean, I, I, I would play this differently and sort of say, am I, am, I, am I doing these decisions for the long term? So if I've got a long term view on it, then no, I'm not swapping KDB. Erdegaard like for one game at 100% yeah but we know that De Bruyne is probably not going to be the not going to be the force he was over 50 games for the next few years now so I'd keep Erdegaard but I would kind of be like looking at Bernardo and um I mean I'd, I'd take Bernardo Silva in a heartbeat I think yeah the most he's criminally so you know he's the most criminally underrated Premier League player of this generation I, I think as great as Rice is there's a reason why Rodri is the bookie's favourite to win Player of the Year, um, and it's not some sort of weird Scott Parker thing. I have to say on Madison, uh, this is sort of almost embarrassed to say this, but Friday night I'm at Spurs versus um, City, and when I saw the news that he was back in training, and I think Postacoglu's just said he could start, I was like, oh. I was a bit excited about it because he like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him in the sort of Premier League top half eleven, but He's someone that gets you off your feet, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I might have a slightly crazy one. Is that left wing? I might. Ooh, I might. I mean, I, not if I've got Haaland, but you know, we're just playing around with ideas here. Left wing, I might be quite tempted to have Darwin Nunez. What? I'll leave that to just drop into the. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not going to ask you to expand. You know, he's a, he's got. Is he double figures for goals? I, mean, I really like Darwin Nunes. I, I I think he brings absolute chaos. I think he's really, he's really fun to watch. Uh, but I wouldn't be playing him left wing. Uh, well, he's chaos everywhere, isn't he? So yeah, he's wherever it's going to be. I wouldn't mess. be playing him left wing. Uh, right, let's move on. Did I just? No, I didn't flick through one. Um, from Blaze John says, if Arsenal potentially sign a player like Pedro Neto, does that mean high probability that Reese Nelson gets sold? Similarly, if a player like Zubamendi is signed, does that mean Elneny or Jorginho get released sold? Uh, then says, are we at a point that ESR and Vieira need to be moved on? I wanted to focus a little bit on that. The top one, if Arsenal were to sign someone like Pedro Neto, and I still think, I mean, I think they probably will sign. I, I've, I've gone into every summer, summer window for the last three or four years saying they're going to sign a right winger, and they haven't. They have tried, but they haven't actually mm-hmm. got one over the line yet. Um, you know, try kind of felt they didn't get that far with Neto, but he was obviously a player of interest a couple of windows ago. Um, Rafinha, of course, they 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 
were trying for but until they backed away. So we, we know they are going there. Do you think this is the summer that Reese Nelson Reese Nelson goes? I think I think the only thing that would stop it is if Arsenal can't get the right deal. Like my understanding is that Nelson would be pretty open to that move in in the summer. I think you know that this second contract hasn't gone the way he wanted. We do have to bear in mind a hundred thousand pounds a week is a lot of money for even a lot of Premier League clubs. You know, it's a it's a big commitment if they don't see Reese Nelson as a starting left wing. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it's it would it's you know from what I understand in the summer the door will be will be open for for Nelson at the right price. And I love Pedro Neto as as an option or anyone that can play left and right wing so um yeah. yeah and you know jumping onto that bit at the end as well i, I can't I, I struggle to believe that it won't be a similar story with with esr like, yeah you know he's as both you and i said last week you know he's really focused on winning his, his spot in the arsenal team right now but like come on you know if he doesn't in the summer it's a long time since he's been an established starter at arsenal um and i think he would I mean, he would certainly assess his options, wouldn't he? The thing we always have to say with these is we don't know who will, you know, we don't know who will come in and what role they will offer. Like, you know, if West Ham are sniffing around ESR, but they have Paqueta, Kudus, Bowen in their squad, like, you know, that might not, I don't know. I don't know if that would be an appealing option to him, but mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, actually, frankly, I think it, some of these decisions should have been made several years ago, but I think they yeah. will get made this summer. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mind Arsenal giving a contract to Reese last summer. I just thought I, I never viewed it as a long-term thing for him to stay and be a successor. I just viewed it as a well, they'll sell him in a year or two's time yeah. and get a bit of money for him rather than letting him go for free. And I still think they'll be in a position where they will be able to sell him. I think there will be a bit of a market still for for Reese Nelson come the summer. Um, and but and when you look at that squad and where Arsenal really need to upgrade to make the squad proper elite level, it's definitely need another option to come on out out wide either on the left or the right, a proper top quality option is definitely an area they need to improve. And I think, um, so yeah, I think if someone like Neto goes, I think that it comes, I think that will be the end of end of Reese. Triple Eight asks for, what do you think of Martinelli playing the striker role? I feel he isn't a winger. He dribbles with his head down and crosses the ball with no target in mind. However, his finishing and pace is very solid. I mean, when, when he first arrived, he was he was stri- a striker, wasn't he? Um, when we first saw him arrive, when he started scoring all those goals in the Europa League and in the... Um, in the League Cup, he was playing as a striker then, wasn't he? I don't know. I think he's now evolved very much into a winger. Mm. And I'm sure he could still do a, a job as a striker. But I think if we watched him there for a significant amount of time, I feel like we'd be watching someone who would feel like a winger playing as a striker, if you see if you see what I mean. Yeah. I, I, I do agree. Like, you never know. He's still young. And I, do, I part of me does think, you know, if... It's really hard when you've got players like Martin Odegaard to consider as well. But if I were thinking next season how I might want to restructure Arsenal and their attack, I would rather Martinelli is sort of an inside forward with some like a fullback or the left eight going beyond and outside him rather than sort of touchline hugging winger. Because I think Triple Eight has made a good point there. Like it can be, you know, Martinelli is very capable of beating his defender, but it, you do sometimes think, okay, Gabby, beat your defender. Look up. Um, he, he's, I think he's better at that than he was last season, and he's better mm-hmm. than it, and he was better then than the year before. But like, yeah, 
and he's he's he has these great qualities around the box. You know, the the Premier League tweet no one's talking about is the one where they uh, had a mashup of Martinelli's in, f- finishing, bending it into the far post, and, and yeah. Thierry Henry's. He does like that finish, doesn't he? It's very Thierry Henry-esque. Even the goal he scored at, away at Everton this season that got ruled out for offside after a VAR check was very similar to that as well. I, um, I think it should be a requirement for any Arsenal player that they can do the Thierry goal. It just it, I need to be reminded every time Arsenal play. of us. Yeah. I just need to see it. Annie so, Welbeck used to do it a bit, uh, a few he times. He did. Yeah, as well. But yeah, I mean, look, I... I think there's definitely an option to to be playing in, in the striker role at times. You could switch it up. You could start a game with Martinelli playing there and Jesus playing out on the wide, uh, out wide. But I think, I think it's a sort of band aid type solution to to Arsenal's attack. I think you want to go out there and sign a proper number nine to play in that role and and have Martinelli as an option from time to time rather than it being a, a long term thing. Um, here's one from PNY2022. What is happening with Arsenal youth teams? Not many coming through to the first team last couple of seasons, as well as the under-18s last weekend lost 8-1 to Liverpool. I think it was 7-1, not 8-1, wasn't it? It was. But um, yeah, absolute drubbing for Jack Wilshere's under-18s in the Youth Cup. Um, weird game, actually. I watched some of the highlights from it, and Arsenal actually, <laughs> which sounds mad, they lost 7-1. But it's kind of, it's very similar to the first. They had plenty of chances to score in that game and take advantage of situations when the scoreline was a lot less and they didn't take it. And then eventually they conceded their loads in the in the second half. But uh, it was a bit of a weird game from from the looks of it and from speaking to people. I, I know Neil Jones, my old colleague at, uh, from goal, he was there from the Liverpool side of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when you speak to people, and I, speak, I do speak to quite a few agents who who have players in and around the, this sort of age group, these age groups, and there is a feeling that Arsenal are very are lacking a little bit with the, the next couple of groups coming through. I think there's quite high hopes for the 16 stroke 17s at the moment, but from there to where we are now, there's only a couple of players, obviously the ones we know about, the Wanieris, the Lewis Skellies, the Cozy Dubries, who might be good enough. I mean, might is obviously mm. the word. You, you never know at, at this stage. There's still so much that can happen as they develop. But there's not loads. There's not that much excitement about what's coming through at Arsenal. And I suppose that's just what happens in academy. Sometimes you have gluts of players coming through at once and then you have a few years where not much happens and then maybe an- another group comes through and maybe we're just in that little, that little sort of glut at the moment. I don't think it's massively something to worry about but what are you what are your thoughts well yeah i mean because when arsenal produce a load of young stars for their first team as they did you know in 18 19 20 you know um back when i mean i remember bakayo saka saying to me it's like his first ever external interview and he just said oh we've got a young generation here that's going to take on the world and maybe the path that that didn't emerge because of injuries and and all that is an Arsenal eleven that includes Nketiah Smith Rowe, Nelson, and Saka. Like it's not unimaginable that these players could have developed mm. into that. But that's not normal. Like I, I'm sure if we go and dig back to sort of if if this if inside Manchester United existed in the late nineties, I suspect there would be quite a few people going. Oh, the only player we've produced since the golden generation is Wes Brown. What's happening to our academy? Like, It's a really high bar to set. Um, and while Arsenal are still, you know, moving young players on for profit and, you know, guys like Balogun, who we forget of because he's not directly contributing to the academy, uh, to the first team, but certainly contribute to the first team coffers. I think things are okay. And, you know, like you say, 
there's a chance that one of Koji Dubri, Lewis Skelly, Nuneri could be that player. But, you know, where Arteta is and where Arsenal are, that there's not really many opportunities to sort of say, let's blood the youngsters. And we probably shouldn't have that PSV Eindhoven debate again. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, here's one from Daniel. It says, hi, gents. If Party only has 45 minutes in him for the Liverpool game, what do you do? Do you play him for the first half or bring him on at half-time? I can't think of many pros, cons for either. Or will you go first with that? Second half, generally, I, I think because you would hope against Forest, although we said earlier on... Could be uh, for the Liverpool game. game. Oh, for, sorry, for the Liverpool game. I yeah. misunderstood that. Uh, give him the first 45 uh, and then it gives you the chance to assess where he's at then and see if you can squeeze another 15 minutes out of him. My only thinking of this is thinking back to the Man City game at the start of the season when he came on about half yeah. an hour to go and was just brilliant in that game and played a key part in the winner is his pass to Havertz for Havertz's assist, wasn't it? And um, he was really, really good. And I think he made Arsenal str- a lot stronger in that sort of final half an hour and played a big part in winning. So I might go the other route. I think you start, you know, I thought Jorginho and Rice together played really well against Liverpool in the FA Cup. And, you know, had Arsenal had their finishing boots on, then you know, they would have been out of sight by the sort of 60 minute mark anyway. So I'd probably go with Jorginho and Rice again to start with and then put party on to try and make the difference in the, in the second half like he did against Manchester City. So that's what I would say to that got a couple more now here's one from mr colnut i hope you can read this this is pretty small Just but i hope right. you can it says let's play a game i tell you the name of the player you tell me what you want to do or what you think his status will be after 2024 summer transfer deadline has passed so it's sold loaned out contract terminated stays at the club All right nelson uh sold I agree. In Ketia. Oh, still a club for sure. I'm going sold. Lakonga. Mikel Arteta loves him. Uh, Lakonga uh, sold, but not for a lot. I think loaned out. Jorginho. Still at the club. I agree. Ramsdale. Sold. Elneny. Well, he's out of contract anyway, isn't he? So it's not either. He's none of them. He'll just be free transfer when the Elneny. It, would he be happy to sort of stay without a squad play? I think he'd be happy to be the the <laughs> physio or the or the boot boy. He loves it. Um, but no, I uh, think yeah, contract. Yeah, gone. Cedric, same yeah, contract. Gone. He's out of contract, isn't he? Maybe we'll see him as a coach one day. Maybe two of them, El Nene and Cedric, coaching El Nene FC. Yes. Of course. Yes. Uh, Vieira stays. Yeah, but I goes agree. in January twenty five. Online. Hein. He's out of contract at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think he is, isn't he? He's out of contract. Yeah, so he, I think he's just gone free transfer. Tavares. Sold. Sold. Marquinhos. Probably loaned out, I would think. I've not thought at great length about Marquinhos's future, though. Norton Cuffey. Loaned out? I think there's I'm quite going. high hopes for him. I'm going sold. Patino. I want you to go first because you know better than me. Sold. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Arthur Conquer, he's out of contract as well, so he'll just go on a free transfer. Which presume he goes to Wrexham as well, by all accounts. Really Potentially, well, they're actually. just extended. He's staying there. They they really like mm-hmm. him. So, um, yeah, he might well stay there permanently. Tierney. Loaned out. I don't, I, I don't want to railroad us into a long chat about Kieran Tierney, 
But when you see him pick up another injury, he's going to be gonna... difficult to sell. Yeah, really difficult. He I hate to say it. I think he's a I phenomenal player when fit. Not for Arsenal either. Like it's, it's just you. If I was if I was the owner of a club and the director of football came to me and said, "I want to sign Kieran Tierney on something like his Arsenal wages," I'd say no. Yeah, it's it's definitely a hard sell, Kieran Tierney. A hard sell that's getting harder as well, which mm. is a uh, it's a shame. <laughs> and uh, Mika Birif. Sorry, Mika. Uh, loaned out. Well, interesting to see how he gets on at Sturm Graz. He obviously did very well up in Scotland, um, treading the same path that Arthur Conque treaded last season when he went to Sturm Graz. And uh, I thought it was quite interesting. Arsenal oh, well, I hope that re- means he doesn't end up at Wrexham just for his own re- good. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting that Arsenal recalled him quite brutally from, from Motherwell. <laughs> really, <laughs> dist- really annoyed everyone at Motherwell in, in process and, and sent him out to, uh, to Austria. They obviously feel that's a better sort of path for him. Um, it must have been quite sudden. I don't. I don't want to sort of go too deep into talking about media matters, but it seemed to me that the brilliant Art de Rocher had an interview with um, Beareth that was not like was done when no one at Motherwell thought he might be going back. So I thought Art did quite a nice job of writing around the fact that between doing the interview and uh, it being published, <laughs> he'd just suddenly been dragged out of Motherwell and, and hurled off to Graz. Definitely happened very, very quickly. Motherwell were caught massively unaware aware of it. So, yeah, there you go. We've gone through those pretty quickly. And um, let's quickly, there's two more to go. This is an hour and six minutes. Uh, one from, I think it's Ben, isn't it? McAteer it says, hey, Charles, yeah. thanks for reading that previous comment of mine. In regards to Champions League, should we beat Porto? Who would you like to play in the quarterfinals? I would actually be keen on Manchester City. Probably the hardest test, of course, but I have great memories of all English Champions League ties in the past even if we've probably lost them all. How have you got good memories of all English Champions League ties in the past? We have lost them all. Honestly, um, no, I disagree with you, Ben. I have to say, I do not want Manchester City. I want someone else to knock them out. And if we do get City, I want them in the final because I'd rather have them over one game than than two, I have to say. Um, I don't know, who do you want, James? You're you're the Champions League pro here. You spend a lot of time looking at it and analysing it I mean, all. How, who, would, yeah. who would you go for? The PSV Dortmund tie is the one that you kind of hope would um, is probably going to give you the most like easy opponent. So Dortmund, um, if I wanted a little bit more of a sort of swaggering win over a big name, I would be like I'd be pretty keen with PSG. I think they're quite beyond Kylian Mbappe. I think Arsenal are quite a good match for them. And actually, even with Mbappe, I'd love to see Saliba just uh, at least once. Just keep who did Lazio get? Lazio have Bayern Munich. I have to say, in spite of the Bundesliga table, I would walk over broken glass if I were Mikel Arteta to not play Bayern Munich. Mm -hmm. I think they're very good. Yeah, I don't want Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Thank you very much. Had enough of that. (laughs) Uh, and finally, from Mini FPL says, Do you think Martinelli starts versus Forest after his brace? Would be very harsh to drop Trossard after starting playing well. He just wants Forest. FPL tips here, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he I thought this would be a good way to tips. end the show, looking ahead to Forest on uh, next Tuesday and the starting eleven. I thought this is interesting. It's like, what do you do? Because you got Trossard, who you gave the gave the starting spots to. He scored, got his confidence level up. Really good goal. But then obviously Martinelli comes on, scores twice, gets his confidence level up. I mean, it's a good position to be in for Mikel Arteta. But yeah, mm. who would you who would you be starting on the left hand side? 
Or I not, think... not actually, no, that's not the question, is it? Do you think Martinelli starts after his brace? So what do you think Mikel Arteta is going to do rather than what Probably not. I just, I, I, I think like you said, I, I wasn't blown away by Trossard, but I thought he was okay. And it is quite nice having the pace and verve of Martinelli off the bench. Mm. So I'm going to say I don't, but I'm not saying that with any real confidence. I mean, no, I, I think Trossard 50, will probably start. 50. I think Trossard mm. probably start. I, I kind of look at how that game's going to go in my head. And I don't see there being wide open spaces for Martinelli to run yeah. into. I don't think Forrest are going to allow that at all. They're going to do exactly what they did against Arsenal last season. Um, it's the way Nuno will set the team up, I'm sure of it. And so I would think he'll probably go for the more sort of technical side of Trossard in the in the small spaces, trying to open them up a little bit and then bring on Martinelli for the last half an hour. So I think, I think in the answer to your question, mini FPL, uh, I would go Leandro Trossard, or that's what I think Mikel Arteta would do. All right, mate, that's it. We've done another show, done and dusted in the cans. Enjoy it. I very much did. We haven't talked about the thing I most wanted to talk about with you what? this week. Slow horses. It's oh, brilliant. Have you, have you started it? I've started it, yeah. We're How far four, into it? Four episodes into series one. Four Obviously, Traitors has railroaded us a bit, but Gary Oldman is... A phenomenal. I mean, he's obviously a great actor. We knew that beforehand, but like, man, that is like a brilliant part for him. And uh, it is. He's so good. It. It. He is absolutely brilliant. And it gets better and better as well, isn't it? It's not something that tails off. It, it's so so good. Um, yeah, happy watching. And who's going to win traitors? Is Harry going to get? Is Harry going to win it? Is he going to go through and win it? <laughs> uh, I he's think it. Harry. He's played it too well so far. He's played it too well though, hasn't he? It's almost like. It's too perfect a game for it to for it to last until the very end. So I, I think the faithful are going to catch him and win. I think the faithful will catch him. A repeat of last year. We shall see. We I shall think... see. Anyway, look, mate. Good to speak to you as always. Appreciate what you're doing at the weekend. Are oh, you going to Spurs? You said Friday night. Friday night. Missing the final of Traitors unless Erling Haaland is back and can do me a solid and get the game won by halftime. Please. Please, City. Be nice. I absolutely want that to happen. Are you going to Forest on Tuesday? Uh, no, it's Villa Newcastle, which I think is quite uh, a fun, spicy game. I'm at Forest, so I shall be there. Hopefully, my tie doesn't blow out on the way to it, and I make it, and I finally get to see Arsenal win at the City Ground. Cool. All right, nice one, mate. Thank you as always, and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to as always as well. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, to do my usual so anything you want me to discuss in that let me know in the comments below as always until then myself and james will see you next week i think we're going to do it on after the transfer deadline is shut aren't we we're going to do a big review of all of arsenal's ins and outs that should probably last about five minutes i imagine so will they fit Osimhen and Isaac into one team there you go that's what we'll talk about next week no it's doubt fine. about it all right mate take it easy i'll speak to you soon speak soon bye-bye